A FAM production for all things mattress. FAM.news. Welcome to Just Stories with BT, a show that brings you remarkable stories of success, comedy, failure, and redemption directly from the people who've shaped the landscape of our professional worlds. You'll laugh, you might cry, but most importantly, you'll be motivated to keep pushing to become a better version of you. Just Stories skips the cheesy 10-step processes and long acronyms and gives you just what you want, stories that truly matter and will impact your life. Meet your host, Brett Thornton, a father, retailer, speaker, motivator, and lover of storytelling. Your transformational listening starts now. All right, welcome back to another episode of Just Stories with BT. Uh, it is season two, which means I have another amazing female powerhouse executive. This time it's Julie Rigby, uh, Global Director of Marketing Internationally for Temper Sealy. Uh, so welcome. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. Really happy to be here. Yes, so am I. It's going to be a great conversation. And as always, you know, prior to uh, doing podcasts, one of the things that, you know, I used to always love, you know, anytime I listen to a podcast, you know, like you'd have that intro in the beginning. And sometimes I heard it multiple times where people just go on and on and on about themselves. And sometimes people give like two word statements. So it was always like a hit or miss. So that being said, I'm going to take all the risk out, take the, uh, the, for you, you don't have to worry about what do I say about myself? People always feel weird. Like, what do I say? You know, like, I don't want to brag or whatever. So I'll do it for you. I'm going to introduce Julie to this, to everybody out there, whether you're watching, listening, whatever. Um, and so when I'm done, then you can tell me if I blew it or not, or how, how right on I was. That's let's hope for that one. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> okay. All right. So here we go. All right. Julie Rigby. She was born in Roscoe, Illinois, where she lived all 18 years until going to college. She was an only child, so she learned a lot from her mom and her dad, obviously. Her mom taught her a really strong work ethic. Dad taught her, who was an ex-pro baseball player, by the way, taught her creativity, visionary mindset, but both of them doubled down on being competitive. Um, and so that was kind of part of your blood. Obviously, so was sports. So as she grew up, she was really big into gymnastics. In fact, got so big into that between the ages of four to 13, she was even competing at like one level below the Olympics. That's pretty awesome. Got into basketball, soccer, track, but ultimately landed on volleyball, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, grew up, loved all uh, other sports too. Unfortunately, I'll hold against you that you were a big Jordan fan. Um, I was a hashtag Magic Johnson fan, so I did not actually like Michael Jordan, which, you know, I'm one of the few. Um However, this is about you. So as we cruise on, you know, there was a, a moment in your life, a pivotal moment as a kid where you were at uh, visiting Chicago O'Hare Airport and noticed all these people walking around in their business suits with their big phones on their hips. And you thought to yourself, that's me. I want to be in business. And so that was kind of the key of like, all right, I'm going to drive towards this. But sports was still a huge thing. So thankfully, because you were so good at volleyball, you got a scholarship for uh, University of North Florida for volleyball and academics. So double threat girl. That's awesome. Uh, you uh, majored in international business and marketing, um, which is really cool. Obviously, that would help you down the road. Uh, and you did spend one summer abroad in France studying, which gave you a love for traveling and a love for Europe, which obviously would probably one of the things that led you to moving over there. As you started out after college, you worked uh, in marketing. Uh, but around sports. So you work for the PGA Tour. Then you work for a marketing firm hosting uh, NCAA basketball events and pro events. And, and at that time, you were getting your MBA. One of the things while you're getting your MBA 
was that you learned about product development, right? And designing products. And so you fell in love with that, ended up falling into a job with Tempur-Pedic. This is way before Tempur-Sealy. This is when it was just Tempur-Pedic. As a product development manager, worked your way up, fell in love with international business as you had studied earlier on and had an opportunity to take on some new roles and then eventually move over across the pond, take on marketing roles, communication roles, but eventually landing in the director of marketing communications for the international business of Tempur-Pedic, which is super exciting. During that, some of the highlights were um, developing and launching the Temper Cloud, which was a game changer in our industry. So I definitely want to talk about that. Um, you also got to redo the international business brand for Temper, which is huge. Um, through all that, there was some small thing that happens like you got married to a cool guy named Jeff. Uh, you had a kid named Henley, who's now age two. Um, and you also have stepchildren living in the USA. And all of that has gotten us to today where you survived the pandemic. You're almost about to go back to the offices, maybe. And now you're on the Just Source of BT podcast. Wow. That How'd was really cool. <laughs> you, did, you did great. I can't believe you remembered all that. That's amazing. Oh, my gosh. Well, I like took... So first off, for all the listeners, so the way this works is I'll reach out, like talk to a guest. Some guests I know, some I don't. This Julie and I met like seven minutes ago. And, but I'll ask like some of these background questions. And so I send over a thing, hey, just fill some of these out so I can have a, you know, an idea. So Julie legitimately wrote a novel and it's <laughs> phenomenal. So I know more about her history than I do like some of my family members, but it's very exciting. It was very exciting because I was like, man, she's awesome. And I can't wait to talk. So congrats you to you. Family members too, if you need to. <laughs> So, um, so tell me, so that was the flash forward. What did I miss? Is there any other giant milestones that I missed? Wow. No, I don't, I, I don't think so. Um, I, I, I really think you hit it all. I mean, I've, I've lived in a couple of places, um, you know, but haven't worked for, you know, too many companies. So yeah, sports marketing and the, the betting industry and, here we are. I, I don't think there's yeah. too much more bad than that. <laughs> so, so tell me, you know, obviously the good thing is sometimes I have people on and, and they may work for companies not everyone's familiar with. The good thing about this is that obviously everyone knows Tempur-Pedic, uh, which is phenomenal. So tell me, what was it like before we get into the stories and kind of learning more about you? I'm so curious. What was it like when you left? You know, you're living in, I'm assuming at the time you were working at the, the corporate offices in Kentucky or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And then you get the job to move across, you know, move over to Europe or whatever. What's that like when you move over there? Because obviously Tempur-Pedic, I can't imagine it's as big there at the time, right? No, not at all. So yeah, it was, it was like a completely different universe, to be honest. Um, you know, you, you would think, hey, it, they speak English. How difficult can it be? But, you know, number one, obviously the culture in England is, is quite different. Um, and, you know, it, it's amazing living outside of London is amazing. Um, but yeah, just, just really different culture. It's, you know, it, it was even just like, okay, uh, wh where's the post office and how, how do I find that? And trying to learn how to drive again on the other side of the road and oh, really just being so confused. Um, so it, it was, uh, it was definitely, you know, kind of personal challenge in terms of just adapting to a new culture. Um, but then the office was completely different as well. So in Lexington um, at Tempur-Pedic at the time, oh, I want to say there was maybe 300 people, 350, something like that. And, you know, a lot of people, you'd always just stop and chit chat in the hallway, you know, maybe that would take place of, you know, cover instead of having a meeting, you would just solve a couple of things in the hallway. Yeah. Everybody's really friendly and knew each other. 
Um, I moved over here and there was probably about 15 people and I was one of three women. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, people didn't always chit chat all the time. You kind of scheduled meetings and it was just very different. Um, I would say now, you know, it's, it's definitely grown. There's a lot more people. There's, you know, very, very diverse. Um, but yeah, when I, when I came here at the time, I was the only expat outside of the EU, which is just surprising for an international company. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was just, it was just a different world. And then you had to figure out, it was so complex, the organization and, you know, there's, people living all over the world that you're going to work with. So you, you really have to figure out who they are and they're not in the office with you. So yeah, kind of what we're experiencing in the pandemic a little bit right now. <laughs> but yeah, I bet that, you know, probably prepared you a little bit for this, you know, yeah. going through, yeah. you know, having to meet with people in different areas. I know my sister recently changed jobs a while back. She's the global vice president for this uh, PR for this um, tech security uh, firm called Bitdefender. And they're uh, a Romanian company. And so, you know, it was this amazing opportunity and she jumped at it and she knew people that worked there. And so she took it, I think it's maybe like six months ago, but she just didn't know like, oh, what is it going to mean to work with a company in Romania? Well, what it means is the meetings start at 5 a.m. <laughs> That's what it means for her. So literally every day at four, she's got to get up, get ready, you know, because they're ready to rock over there, you know? So it was like, oh man, so I can get it. I can totally get that. So tell me, you know, before, you know, one of the things that we love to do this podcast, obviously, is, is highlight people like yourselves, but we want to get to know you, you know, besides just, hey, we hear what you did, you know, you created these cool things, you made these campaigns, all this stuff is amazing, but we want to know the person behind all that, you know, and so one of the things I love to do is start out with a story or some stories that, you know, just from your career that you look back on as, you know, super funny or entertaining or memories that you laugh at. Um, so just anything you think of so that we could get to know you a little bit. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of some kind of funny ones. I mean, you know, some of those kind of early days. Um, I was at um, Las Vegas Market. I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> know that. Yeah. Um, and I had just started at Tempur-Pedic and was just trying to get to know everybody. So I, I was probably there maybe a month. Um, and you know, just networking within our own company, just saying hi, but most of the people that are there, you know, are within the sales organization. Um, and at one stage I had spent some time um, talking to a gentleman for, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes, just chit-chatting. Uh, chit and, um, you know, and then I, I just kind of said, well, you know, what's your name and, and what do you do? And ended up being the, the CFO and I had absolutely <laughs> no idea because his name badge was turned the wrong way. So nice. I, you know, it's kind of one of those, oh, I, sh I should probably know that, but you know, yeah. it's fine. He, he didn't care. So, um, but yeah, no, funny. I would say um, I've, I've done some cra crazy things to where, you know, I just um, look back and, you know, and like, why did I do that? It was a good <laughs> idea at the time. So um, there was a, a conference coming up. Um, it was while I was, uh, since I've been over here in England and there was just a, a piece of content. I, I knew exactly what to create and, and we needed it and it was really important. And I knew exactly the agency to do it, but they were based in Melbourne, Australia. 
-hmm. And so I had literally probably about two weeks to make this piece of content. So I ended up getting budget and on a week's, uh, probably less than a week's notice, getting on, hopping on a plane and flying to Melbourne, which is like 27 hours there. I was there for maybe just over two days and then flew all the way back, you know, another 27 hours or so. So it was like I was there just as much as I was flying. And oh no, it was crazy. But um, hey, it worked. And the best part was that I got to see a bunch of kangaroos hopping around. Yes. Nice. Yeah, I love I love Australia. Uh, It's such a cool place. And it's funny because when I think I've been Australia a couple of times, but I I, I can never think of Australia without thinking about how brutal my flight back was. Yeah. This is the longest day of my life. I'm convinced, you know, like there's days that just seem to last forever. And that was definitely one. Cause I remember flying out and that you have the tailwind or whatever behind us. So I remember it was like 14 or 15 hours from wherever I was flying from uh, and then it's, it's so on the long. way back. Yeah. You're like going into the wind or something. And it was like 17 hours, but on the way back, I was in the very back by the bathrooms and every seat was filled and it was a coach. And uh, I just remember after like five hours starting to feel a little like, oh my God, I'm getting claustrophobic. Like I can't get up, but people are just using the restroom all the time. And I'm like, and it just lasted for like 10 days. I felt like I was in that stupid plane, you know? <laughs> but the, it, did you have a good time? Was I did. Worth- no, I loved Australia. It was well worth it, of course, you know? And yeah. I know like, I mean, those, the hard part about when you travel like that too, is that you're so jet lagged and so... Yeah turned around when you get to the place that you're like what's happening you know then you come you know, but you might not have even ever adjusted in just five days you just kind of did it all yeah i i think i was just constantly sort of in a cloud but you know hey it, it you just you just push through right you get a bit of adrenaline once you get there and yep. make it make it happen it, it is still the only time i have been to australia by the way so i would like to go for a yes like an actual vacation or something yes you need to go you need definitely need to go back for sure um so i guess the most important question with that is were you at least able to fly business class i was which yes. is great which is great because that's the whole different thing i remember traveling yeah. internationally to a bunch of things when i was younger and I did some documentary films and all stuff. And we never had money. So we were always in coach, you know, on these long flights and it was miserable. But then for work, you know, I got to travel around and last, I guess like two years ago, we went to China and Thailand, you know, for, I was, I was building these adjustable bases. And so we were flying around and yeah. the companies were paying for it and everything was business, you know, business class. And there was a point I remember on this flight coming back from China where I was actually bummed that I landed. Because it was like, you had your own sleep pod, every movie, like I was working. It's like, no one's like bothering you. You're just kind of in your zone. And I was like, man, this is nice. Like, this wasn't even bad. It is so nice. Yeah. I mean, it, it just makes such a difference. And it, it is, I think for, you know, all of that travel and all of those hours and the jet lag, it's sort of a nice, I don't know, it, it takes the edge off a little bit when you can yes. cozy down into the pod and, you know watch a good movie or something. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So, so tell us, you know, obviously you've had a, a, an amazing career to get where you are. Um, we're going to talk in a little bit about, you know, specifically around kind of being a female and coming up in this industry, you know, but I, I did want to ask like, so obviously to get to where you are, you know, it comes with lots of successes, but also lots of hurdles, you know, tell us a story. Like when was a time when, 
you know, you really struggled or you, you had a, a, a failure or you had something that didn't go your way and kind of how you overcame it? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess, you know, something that came to mind and I think it's quite, it's actually quite formative of me and it, it's not, you know, one specific moment, but, um, and, you know, I, I, I'm not going to make this, um, you know, a, ra a rant about a particular boss, um, but I, I had a I mean, boss you can I, if you want, you know. Well, you know, maybe <laughs> now. <laughs> no, I, I had a boss um, actually that um, he, he called himself the corporate seagull. And if he listens to this, he, he will know, he will know who he is. So do you know what a corporate seagull is? No, but I'm dying to know. Okay. So he, self, he, he was the self-proclaimed corporate seagull. So what that means is he would fly away and you might not see him for a while. And then all of a sudden he would fly back and shit all over everything and then fly back away. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was just, he had this kind of, you know, it was very sort of very hands off to an extreme. Um, he, he was a great mentor. I learned so, so many things from him. Um, and, but, you know, at, at one stage he was just pulled in so many directions. He was the one, you know, in business or even first class, you know, airline tickets where they have the little showers on the plane. He, he had yep. all kinds of good stories about those flights. Um, but yeah, so it was just, you know, I, I've, I felt, um, I think it was at a stage where I was kind of moving in from a more tactical role into a more senior role. Mm -hmm. And um, I think part of that management style was, was on purpose. And I think part of it was also because he was just, you know, getting pulled in a zillion, uh, a zillion directions. But, you know, I would want to check in, but I, I think we would have check-ins maybe every two to three weeks, which, you know, wasn't really, wasn't very often. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, ultimately, you know, I think at first it was just really frustrating and, you know, you, you don't, you didn't feel, maybe you didn't feel important or, um, you know, didn't feel like you were getting the, the guidance that you needed, but then ultimately, you know, what that did was I, I learned how to, you know, be comfortable overcoming hurdles on my own and being comfortable, mm -hmm. you know, making decisions and being comfortable, just kind of figuring out and, and moving ahead. Um, you know, I, there was no way, you know, to, to get stuff done. There was no way to, to wait, uh, mm -hmm. for, you know, a couple of weeks. Um, but actually, you know, that style in many ways just helped me you know, help me really learn how to think things through and influence um, internally and, you know, get um, kind of move from that more tactical kind of execution level really kind of into a more senior level. So, you know, help me understand kind of my my own strengths and weaknesses and and my own style, really. Yeah. So it was it, it was interesting. He's um Great guy, still keep still keeping close touch with him actually, um, but uh, yeah, I, I would I would call that you know a really kind of pivotal sort of learning process I think for me. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, there's always those times when you know you're in your career because we've all had you know especially if you have a longer career you have multiple 
managers, multiple leaders, you know, people kind of come in, come out and everybody has their own style. And so yeah. I think that's always the, that's like the scary and the exciting part. You know, when you get new bosses is like, wait, what kind of help am I getting? What kind of guidance again? What kind of my guidance am I not getting? You know, and ultimately yeah. that style can be scary because, you know, the person's actually letting you figure it out on your own, but yeah. also that's scary. Cause you're like, wait a minute. I've got to figure it out on my own, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, some, some people, and I find this in employees that, that I have, um, some individuals want, you know, more feedback and more check-ins than others. And, you know, what do you do if you can't get all of those and how do you, how do you overcome that and how do you kind of push forward? So it was, it was kind of an interesting, um, style, but in many ways it actually worked, you know, worked really well. And, and I do, mm -hmm. I do appreciate it. So. Yeah. And what happened when, you know, was there any challenges or anything that you can think of that was just, you know, that, that we could learn about? Cause I don't even know how this happened, but you know, what was it like going through the temper Sealy merger? Yeah. Um, I had just moved to international, you know, at that point. So to be honest, for us, um, it, it wasn't that um, difficult because we sort of all of a sudden had a couple of new brands to market. So um, Sealy and Stearns and Foster at the time were kind of managed by licensee businesses that we um, more or less um, kind of took ownership of and you know gave our hand at and in some cases it the the business models in the international stayed the same i think in the u.s it was very different so yeah. i think they actually had you know this integration of teams and employees and you know there was a lot of i think churn in different departments um particularly in the marketing team um so but i mean to be honest i wasn't you know, I wasn't there for that kind of on the day to day. So, yeah. So you kind of lucked out to sit, I did. To yeah. sit on the sidelines and just, okay, I'm over here. Just going to do my thing. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I mean, those kinds of things just, just aren't easy because like nobody, yeah. you know, you're, you're not certain of just, you know, what, what is your role and where do you fit and you know, how, what, what is the structure like? So it's, those yeah. aren't easy. I've, I've been lucky um, but you know, we sort of added some brands as opposed to kind of merging teams together. So that's cool. Yeah. Tell me, and this, and I didn't ask you about this ahead of time. So if you don't have any comment on it, that's fine. Um, because I think, I feel like if I look back over the last decade, especially it was like, like you mentioned, or 13 years ago, you launched the cloud. That's a huge thing. Um, you know, the brand goes more vertical, you know, good relationships. You add all these different products, obviously the the recent new products were amazing, but there was a couple iterations in there. There was the simplicity that didn't go very well. And there was yes. like the air, the air bed. I can't remember what it's called. What was it? the, Oh, you know, when you try to do like that or something, yeah, yeah. something like that or whatever. So those, those yeah. obviously didn't work, you know? So like, did you, you know, coming from your world, did you have to deal with that kind of, you know, massaging those things in marketing at all or, or no? Yeah. Well, so, um, 
I was a part of Simplicity, but luckily, actually, when it launched, I had moved over to the UK. <laughs> so, nice. I'm seeing yeah. a trend here. You miss all the tough stuff. I know. I kind of, you know, I did some things and then and then uh, and then I left. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So I I think I think what's interesting um, uh, with with Simplicity um, really is a sort of like, you know, we had had a lot of success with cloud like that that was kind of the the main predecessor there were some other kind yeah. of smaller product launches after that um you know just kind of some refreshes and things um and then yeah and then came simplicity and we were trying really hard to just hit like hit this price point and it just didn't go well i and there's you know a, a million reasons for that and i'm sure you know i know that that has <laughs> been digested and analyzed you know over and over again um and yeah i mean there was just in general kind of some some bad decisions that were made i think we we just we didn't pay attention to some consumer research it was potentially you know very very you know alarming like hey you, you know you need to go this way and you need to watch out for that you know it's just yeah. like oh shit um but but you know, I, I think there was a bit of arrogance, if I'm honest. Just you know, hey, we can we launch cloud, we can do this, but it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, so. no, I love that side of it. You know, what I mean, because at the end of the day, I think from you know at the time I was always a retailer all those years. You know, a big retailer, so it was like a big deal. And I can remember, you know, I think at least for me, anyways, from the outside looking in, it was kind of like one of those, hey, you're really good in your lane. And yeah. you're amazing up here. And like, that's your wheelhouse and mm -hmm. double down on that instead of trying to like swoop down and get all this lower business, but that's not your wheelhouse. It's not what you do, right. you right. know? And so right. it was interesting, but I think that, you know, obviously, and you can say it even better than, than I could ever, but obviously all those challenges obviously led into, you know, eventually launching the ProDAP series, which I thought, you know, were some of the greatest beds of all time. You know I mean? Those things just, yeah. I couldn't believe it at the time when we, when I was at a retailer at the time when we launched those and I've never seen customers respond to beds that way. I mean, it's pretty they're incredible. Really yeah. yeah. They're, they're absolutely great products. To totally love them. They're, they're outstanding. So, yeah. So, so tell us, you know, we talked about, you know, obviously going through some struggles and, you know, having to figure things out, you know, what, what was a story or a couple of stories you can think about when, you know, in your career that you thought like, Oh my God, like, I'm having some success here. Yeah, well, um, uh, I guess a couple of things. So, you know, I think getting, anytime you kind of get funding for something new or exciting that, you know, isn't typical, right? So uh, when I when I moved over to international, um, I mean, I, I have a cloud example um, of that too, but, um, when I moved over to the international group, you know, the, the marketing sort of maturity was not as far as where it is in the U.S. And th there was a campaign, but it was getting really stagnant. Um, it had really run its course, right? And we, we needed a new campaign. We needed to really invest and we needed to kind of shift the brand image. Um, and the president of the international business wasn't yet like fully bought in he needed a little bit of convincing i would say um and it, yeah it was just you know we had it we we had the idea we had the vision we had 
you know, knew how it would be executed. It was, it was, it was a great idea. It had depth and breadth. Um, I just kind of asked him for some time and walked in and walked him through it. And um, ultimately I walked out with, yes, go, go do it, you know, and it, it was, he committed budget and, you know, obviously, you know, was very involved and, you know, really uh, committed and interested after that. Of course, mm -hmm. if he's spending a lot of money, he wants to know where it's going. But, um, but yeah, I think it was, it was really key. Um, and it just felt great. It was kind of like, okay, you, you know, I can um, kind of change uh, change uh, the business and the and the culture. I think the international culture was ha has been harder to change um, mm -hmm. than you know when I was in the U.S. It was like really entrepreneurial and fast moving, and you know there was just so much opportunity if you had a great idea. A lot of the times it was yes, go do it. I think the international group has been harder, so that one really just felt like a big win. Yeah. Um, and, and, and before you, before you tell another one though, I want to, what's the, what is that initial feeling like though, when you walk out of that office and you had the yes, right? Cause then it's like, is it then relief? Is it pressure? You know, right. Cause now you've got this huge funding and this idea, it was an excitement. What was that like? Well, I probably first like went and had a beer, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with, nice. with the team, like, Hey, good job. Yeah. Um, but you know, af after you celebrate a little bit, then yeah, it's, um, it is, it's pressure for sure, because you don't want to disappoint, right? You want to be able to carry through on that vision and carry through on what you promised. Um, and, and that's, you know, a really important element, right? You can't, you will have potentially limited success if you do sell in these ideas, but then don't deliver and don't execute, right? So being able to do all of that is important. Um, but to me, you know, the creative bit and the marketing side is so much fun. Um, so it's just what I enjoy. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's a hell of a lot of hard work, but at least if you're, you know, enjoying, enjoying it and enjoying the creative process, then that, that makes, that makes a difference. Um, but yeah, I, and I did. So after that campaign launched, um, kind of the ultimate sort of culmination and sort of pinch me moment, I think. Yes. Um, my husband and I went to uh, went to Thailand on vacation and, you know, just relaxed. Yeah. Um, actually trying to forget about work, but <laughs> <laughs> we walked into the Bangkok airport and there's a big ad and it's from that campaign. And I'm like, oh, I, I don't know. I just had this, you know. Yeah amazing moment of you know put in all the hard work got the buy-in you know i i created the brief i was at the shoot you know approved all the creative and worked with the team to to execute and then there it was so that yeah. was just pretty cool pretty cool that is awesome yeah i have like the opposite story of that um which is <laughs> so i when i was <laughs> the company before this when i was at this company called living spaces amazing furniture company you know, kind of blowing up all over the U.S. and um, and I ran Revive, which was our betting department. You know, and and the idea was to blow it up and have it be you know like a store within a store and and open up all this business. And so one of the first things that we did uh, when I got there was launch a TV, start launching TV campaigns and commercials just for Revive because before that it was just part of the furniture store. 
where we create a brand, a new identity, new logos. I mean, the whole nine yards, re, you know, build all these showrooms. It's everything's going well. And we wanted to do a, um, we were doing everything up to that point was promotional. So, you know, discounts, you know, Labor Day sale, da 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 sale. And I was like, and we, we talked about and brainstormed around, let's do some like branding spots. Like what makes Revive cool? You know, like we'll do behind the scenes, we'll do shots in the store. We'll talk about the team. We'll talk about our giving events, like all this stuff. I'm like, this is great. So I'm helping write the scripts and, you know, we brainstormed all the topics and we, we get the cast and we, you know, we get this really good film crew and everything's perfect. And then uh, the night before, it's actually, yeah, it's literally like nine at night before our shoot is the next day. I get a text from one of the people on like the marketing team and they're like, hey, bad news. Um, one of the actors like got sick or something, can't do it. And the, in the we had to be at the shoot. It was 4 a.m. like was to get oh, there no. and get dressed because we had to shoot <laughs> for three or four hours before the store opened for this one shot. Yeah. And she goes, but here's the thing. He's like six two, six three, kind of tall then and i'm like yeah she's like so yeah we need you to, to do it i'm like what do you mean she's like well it's nine at night and the shoots at 4 a.m and you fit the description so you're about our only shot so i'm like oh my god so i'm like okay <laughs> so then here i am i show up you know like 4 a.m and like you know they're doing the makeup and you're getting your outfit and all this stuff and i do the shoot the whole day and i'm super embarrassed the whole time because these are like a they're like you know professional actors and and actresses and and um, and there was a scene where, and I'm still to this day, like I'll never live it down. The director's like, there's a jingle for living space. It's like this this song, this jingle, and he's like, hey, I want you guys like just we're just riffing, you know, like between scenes. Like I want you guys to sing the jingle, and maybe it'll be like a funny little thing outside. And I had the mic at the time, like you know, one of the mics, and I can't sing, like horrible voice, the whole nine yards. And so like we do like a scene, and it's like da, 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 like whatever, do the the, the thing. And the, and the director's like, cut, cut, cut. And he goes, ah, don't feel bad about this, but uh, that one tall guy that works here, yeah, we need to remove the mic from him <laughs> and then do it again. So the crew comes out, everyone stops, and so they can take the whole mic out of my show and stuff just so they can do the jingle and not hear my horrible voice. So that that was <laughs> bad. And then it, karaoke, but everybody can see it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was it was awful. And people were videoing that work with me that came to the shoot that day. And like, I'm like, oh, God. And then it got worse because the commercial debuted during the first regular season football game. This is like four years ago or something. And so oh. that night, all my friends, we do like a fantasy football thing for like 10 years. We were all together to watch this game. And I didn't know it was airing that night. So like the second commercial break here it comes it pops up and i'm like the first person on the screen and everyone just starts laughing because it's super cheesy and i made it look cheesy and they like screenshotted it and that became like our it, it i just never lived it down they were like oh it looks like living spaces can't afford actors <laughs> you know like oh no, it's you know just never lived it down you know so but see, that was your breakout moment. You know, you you should have said, you know, how much you, you earned, you know, all of this extra money or something. And now, now I know I should have. I'm still I'm still waiting for my royalty checks. Never got them. So I don't know. They must be exactly lost in the mail somewhere. Uh, so hey, you know, do, doing everything you can right for for the for the company at that point. Exactly. <laughs> hey, you got to do what you got to do. So so tell me, I want to switch gears slightly. Um, you know, one of the things about this season two of the podcast, you know, the first season was these eight CEOs that, you know, really utilize giving back as their strategy. So they had really good conversation around how they wove giving back into the business and this kind of stuff. And, and this season, you know, like I said, it's, it's about bringing on different female executives in our industry and, 
And the reason is just because, you know, a couple of things, I know I shared this before we got on, but, you know, my current leadership team is all female, except for one guy. So it's just me and one other guy. Um, and, and it's phenomenal. And, and we have a great team. But as these, these amazing um, women are navigating this new career, none of them come from the furniture mattress space. They all come from different places. And so they're learning it. They're reading podcasts. They're joining groups. They're like really trying to dive into this industry and they want to grow. They want to go far. They want to become executives. Right. Um, and yet they're learning that like, wow, there's just not a lot of mentors for them outside of our company. There's not a lot of, you know, like real female powerhouse executives. And, and, they have a great question, like uh, my area manager, CK, who's re really close um, or really close. She said, you know, I don't get it because isn't like, you know, you're always telling us that like 80, 90 percent of the buying decision is generally done by the female partner, you know, and I'm like, that's true. So it's like we have an industry that's led by female buyers and yet we don't have very many female executives. So can you tell me, A, you know, why do you think that is? And then B, I'd love for you to tell me, just like, tell us and the listeners, you know, like, how was it trying to come up in this mattress industry, you know, being a female, was there any issues you had or anything like that? So anything you could chime on on both of those would be awesome. Sure. Yeah. Why are there no, uh, not, or a few, I guess, female executives in the industry? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, th I think it's a really good question. Um, I wonder if it's, you know, possibly just because, you know, I, I think if you think of sort of a, a furniture kind of F&B sort of retail, which is really where it all started, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think there's, you know, a lot of family businesses or used to be, and that's kind of, you know, possibly where it all started. But, you know, ultimately those um, did really just tend to be male dominated. And then as they get bigger and bigger, you know, it, it uh, you know, becomes you know, sort of this corporation or even this really huge family run business. Um, but still for, for some reason, I think not only the people on the shop floor, but then also the people, you know, in the corporate office um, just tended to be male dominated. I don't, I don't know that I have a reason for that other than maybe just kind of his history and maybe where mm -hmm. furniture shops started, um, you know, many years ago. And um, you know, you, you do have a lot of kind of um, mom and pop shops that, that ended up becoming, you know, big, big corporations. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's, it is an interesting one. Um, you know, I, I know it, it is interesting kind of seeing things change as well. Um, I know, you know, still in the mattress industry, there aren't that many female executives. Um, I think in a lot of furniture businesses, they're starting to be more, um, mm -hmm. which is which is quite promising. I think you're starting to see more female execs and, and CEOs um, in in furniture. So you know we'll have to have to crack the the mattress industry as yes. as well. So yeah, so that's exciting. Um, but how, what was it like for me? I definitely noticed that. So like when I started at Tempur-Pedic, um, you know, there really were, I would say few to none um, senior executives that were women. And, you know, over time there, there might've been a, a few kind of women in senior positions, but 
maybe they weren't necessarily also considered role models. Mm. So, you know, as kind of a young, a young kind of aspiring professional at that time, yeah, you're, you're really just kind of craving, you know, somebody that could serve as a mentor or a role model for you. Um, and, you know, for kind of the young, young women, um, you know, I, th I think what, you know, people would do would, would be to look outside of the company or the industry, um, mm -hmm. or in networking groups. Um, there, there have been a couple, you know, like I remember being a part of the with it organization at the time, um, which was, you know, kind of female, um, networking within, within F and B basically, which was, mm -hmm. which was helpful, um, but, you know, not necessarily on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I, I do, you know, as, as I said, things are changing and I, I definitely notice a lot more um, kind of female executives and role models, like really strong kind of figures that you would look up to and you would aspire to be. Mm -hmm. um, I think companies are making a purposeful, you know, kind of vision and mission to, to fill those and to, you know, be really aware of um, kind of their organizational makeup and, mm -hmm. and who, who's a part of, of that. But yeah, for, for me, it was hard. It, it really was. Um, I would say I had one really good friend and mentor when I was at Tempur-Pedic in the U.S. Um, she wasn't in a super senior position, but she definitely um, got there and she acted that way, mm -hmm. you know, having come from Procter and Gamble in the past. Um, and she, she was, she was absolutely amazing. Um, and, you know, just having that sort of leadership style, just, I mean, it, it, it really means the world to you, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then moving to international again, same type of problem. It, it was sort of like going, uh, almost like going back in time a little bit. Oh no! Because it was, it was just you know, pure, purely kind of uh, purely male-dominated. You know, few or no, you know, female role models. Um, and again, now now that's changed, um, but it it is. I think you you do feel like you kind of have to fit into the boys club for sure. Um, or, or did. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, you, it, it was kind of just trying to find the right way to assert your leadership or your position or your point of view, but, you know, without kind of throwing off the dynamic of, of the group um, and, and, yeah, I would, I would de definitely say, you know, at times, you know, definitely feeling like, like a boys club. Um, yeah. I, ha you know, I've only recently become a mother, so I didn't have to balance sort of, you know, married life and, you know, being a mom uh, during, I would say the stages that were more challenging or where mm -hmm. you didn't have a role model, but that's like a whole nother dynamic when you, when yeah. you add. <laughs> so. Totally. Yeah. 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 I, I, I don't know. I mean, what, 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 what are you, what are you guys finding? I mean, things are, things are shifting and is it easier for, for your leadership team and for your younger uh, women? I mean, you know, I think that, 
I think there's two responses to that, which is, you know, because I work for, you know, a company that was, you know, you know, brought about from the DTC world. Right. And, and so, you know, one of the things that Avocado did early on was that they basically decided not to hire anybody from within the industry, you know, not like from a, you know, <laughs> an HR perspective, like we're not going to hire these people, but basically just, they just went out and like said, Hey, we're going to pull from this, this different group of people who's really into sustainability and organics and all this kind of stuff. And, and then we'll just learn to sell this product. It just happens to be in this field. So, so the feel of the organization is nothing like anything I come from. Cause I've been in the traditional world for 17 years, right. Retail and, you know, the big brands and whatnot. Um, and so that was, you know, refreshing, from one perspective, because it was like, oh, cool, this feels different. It feels almost like a tech startup in San Francisco or something, you know, and very progressive and all this stuff. Um, very diverse, very, you know, balanced across the board, which was great. Um, and I've noticed a lot of the DTC brands are like that because they didn't start from the industry and they didn't pull from the industry. And so they just became this new, you know, more of a new age. Hey, it's built in, in the late, you know, 2015, 16s and things are more diverse and whatever, which is good. So I think that's, you know, going to influx the market because obviously these brands are a big part of the whole thing now. Right. So especially as they go to retail and different things, you know, everything will shift out. I think a lot of the smaller DTCs will go away, but the big ones will become big players. So that helps the overall industry because I think those companies won't have the same dynamics that the big companies had, you know, and have had because they had such a long history, as you said, coming family owned furniture, just being more male dominated. And as they spread out, that will help. However, on the downside, as that's happening, the challenge is, I think a lot of these, especially, you know, like, you know, maybe younger millennials or, you know, people who are just starting a career for the first time, um, you know, and if you're a female and you work for these betting companies, like you said, where's your mentor? Because in my mind, you know, I, I think having an internal mentor in your organization is great, but I'm also a huge proponent of you need to have a mentor to outside your company. You know, that's going to give you the, you know, the real feedback, the stuff that maybe someone at your work can't. And I think that's the challenge is right. Like, where's the, where, where, where are people looking up to today? Who are they looking up to? Where are all the, the the powerhouse CEOs, you know, where are the presidents? You know, there's just a handful. If you go on LinkedIn and you type in any of the big companies, any of the massive furniture companies and the big retail companies, LinkedIn ranks it by seniority. When you go, you know, when you search those companies and then just look, Right. Look down. How long does it take before you get to a, a chief level or then a you know enterprise VP level or senior vice president? Right. Who is a female? You got to generally go down the list 10 or 15. So that's that's the problem. And so I guess that my question, I'd pose it back to you as a question, which is like, what's yeah. the solve for that? You know, how do we attract more amazing females into this industry? Because most yeah. most of the time and I'm sure not always, but most people I meet male, female, no matter what ethnicity background, generally, once they get in the industry, they actually really love it. It's a great play. Like people are super friendly. It's fun. It's not like people are like, get out of here, you know, stay off my lawn. It's not, doesn't feel that way. Um, But how do we attract more amazing female talent into the industry? Yeah, well, absolutely. I think, I think you've, you know, hit, hit a good point, which is, I think, you know, on the outside, maybe it isn't that appealing, you know, it's, it's beds or mattresses, which, you know, again, sort of uh, think about it from a consumer standpoint, you don't think about it that often, right? It's not, it's not a a top of mind category, but once you're in it, it's super dynamic and there's so much happening and there's all kinds of 
really exciting companies within the industry. And you, you know, like, like me, I've, I didn't know how long I would be here, but I've been here for quite a while because I keep getting all kinds of exciting challenges. Um, and th there are a lot of opportunities. So yeah, I think it's, you know, kind of making the industry appear attractive, um, but, you know, really making sure that, you know, young people do understand, um, you know, all, all that there is for them. Um, I also, you know, I mean, the, there's other programs that, you know, you can do like um, I ran um, an internship program. Um, so we would reach out to, um, kind of local universities and have a grueling like apprentice style competition um, for a few places every year. And actually awesome. I've ended up, yeah, it, it's, it was great. Um, got amazing talent and, you know, some of these, you know, young people were competing at, you know, Microsoft and Nike and other like very, you know, big prominent companies. And they ended up enjoying their time at this sort of competition so much that they wanted, you know, to work with us. Um, and I've since hired several of them back. So oh, wow. nice. it's also really exciting. So, you know, kind of, kind of getting in early and just giving people positive experiences um, because, yeah. you know, somebody isn't necessarily going to stay at a company for their entire career. I would never expect that. Um, but, you know, if they do come in and, and they are, you know, within the industry, just, you know, giving them positive experiences and great challenges. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I love that. Um, and I guess before I let you go, I have, you know, to ask some serious questions here at the end, which is, so you've been in over there in London or out right outside of London, right? For 11 years. So what's better, yeah. you know, is the pub over there better than like going drinking at the bar here? Ooh, that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. <laughs> I think it, de it depends on the day. Um, I like the pub. But I will say, you know, I I do miss, you know, the American sports bar with, you know, 15 TVs or 30 TVs and, you know, a bunch of games on loud music. I, I'll yeah. I'll vote for that. I think. Yes. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Versus just the, the football game or the soccer, you know, the the. Football yeah. game going crazy. Rugby, rugby, you know. But hey, we we do we are able to watch uh watch our U.S. sports from over here, so that's that's pretty good. Nice. <laughs> I'm super into this show on Apple uh, TV right now called Ted Lasso. Have you heard of this? Yeah, I have. I haven't seen it though. Much what? Must watch. It's okay. like it's like I think the most well written, funny show I've seen in like a decade. It's unbelievable. But it's a it's an American football coach who coaches like in college and he takes a job coaching a soccer team over. It's like a fictitious Ooh, yeah. team, but it's basically takes place in, you know, like London. Anyways, you've got to watch it. It's, just, it's hysterical, but it's just funny. Cause I'm sure he's going through a lot of things you went through when you first moved over there. So, <laughs> Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. It's, yeah, you will it, love it. it is a very different world, but you know, great to have the, I am glad I have the opportunity to be here. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know you're busy and I really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm, happy to, you know, get your story out there. And um, obviously, if anyone, you know, hears it, especially, uh, you know, any amazing young females in this industry that would want to ever reach out, you know, I'm sure they can just hit you up on LinkedIn and, 
you know, connect and ask you for any, any advice or whatnot. So thank you again. I appreciate it. And hopefully, um, you know, we'll run into each other at one of these markets, one of these years when we get back in person. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks, Brett. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.